This is The Drive Podcast with Josh Graham. Welcome to the internet, my friend. How can I help you? Check out The Drive weekday afternoons at 3 on WSJS Sports. You know, if you listen to what he has to say, he's not such an idiot. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. We're on a Tuesday drive where after three straight losses, Panther fans seem to be in a pretty dark place right now. Almost as dark as that new Batman movie coming out. Full disclosure, right before the radio microphones turned on, that's all we've been talking about around here. I'm not sure how I feel about the new trailer. It's called The Batman. Good title. I like Jeffrey Wright. I'm in on Robert Pattinson. I think Paul Dano's a great actor. He's playing the Riddler in this. But it might be too dark for me. There's a line. The Dark Knight came pretty close. This one might be a little bit too dark for me. And I think that's the place that Carolina Panther fans are right now. But I want to start today with a message of positivity this afternoon. I don't think all is lost for the Panthers. Not yet. Just remember... It seems like help is going to be on the way sooner rather than later. Shaq Thompson, for example. If we are to take Matt Rule at his word, Carolina should be getting him back this week. He's missed the last two games. Matt said a week and a half ago that he was going to miss one game for sure, potentially two games, but shouldn't miss more than that. Well, he's missed the two, and Carolina really needs to get 54 back in the lineup. Oh, wait, he changed his number. He's number seven now. Still not completely adjusted to that. Stephon Gilmore. I have no idea what number he is, but he's practicing this week for Carolina. I don't think it's realistic to expect him back against the Giants, but that is a former NFL Defensive Player of the Year of just two years ago that Carolina lucked into acquiring. If you talk to... NFL execs, and I have, they'll tell you that the hardest positions to find talent on the market for quarterback, of course, that position's always been at a premium talent-wise. Tackle, we heard Scott Fitterer just a few weeks ago talking about that. He's inquiring even about backups, and teams aren't willing to part ways with any talent they have at tackle. And corner. I was listening to Daniel Jeremiah on a podcast who we've had on numerous times, former App State Mountaineer. And he said back when he was in the Ravens front office, they would look at, scouts would be putting together their rankings of players. And for those three positions, specifically corner in this instance, if a guy was placed a little bit too low or at a generous spot, They'd say, you got to fly him up the board if you really want him because he's not going to be available. Teams are going to nab up corners. They're going to be real, They're going to be willing to risk reaching to get talent at those positions. It's difficult to find. Carolina, where they got lucky, the Patriots parted ways with him, and he just so happened to live on the same street as Scott Fitterer in the summer being from the Carolinas. So help is on the way. Even without McCaffrey, the Panthers should be favored the next two weeks. They're favored by three points against the Giants in New Jersey Sunday. Atlanta, they're not any good. Now, these are not gimmies. No game in the NFL is. Just ask the Tennessee Titans last night. Or specifically the Buffalo Bills, I should say, who lost to the Titans last night. There's no such thing as a gimme in the National Football League. Or else Carolina beats the Philadelphia Eagles and probably beats Minnesota given Carolina blocked the punt, Minnesota missed two field goals, and Minnesota had more than 10 penalties in the game. There are no gimmies. That's not what I'm saying about New York and Atlanta, especially with Carolina going on the road. But Carolina's favored in those games, which means even without McCaffrey, they can win them. And they're already close to being a 5-1 and one football team couple plays break their way. You're talking about 5M1 Carolina and this dark vibe that's surrounding the Panthers. It's all sunshine and rainbows. I think Carolina shouldn't have a problem against New York. 
We'll see with Atlanta. After those two games, McCaffrey should be back. Knock on wood. Hopefully there's not going to be another setback. He can return after week eight. So he's going to miss this week and next week. He can return as early as the Patriots game on November the 7th in Charlotte. And New England is a 2-4 and four football team right now. So the schedule, it benefits them right now. And while we're talking about the schedule, there's an expanded schedule and an expanded playoff field from last year. To put that in perspective, we're not even... I think we're exactly at the one-third mark of the season. We're a third into the regular season right now. 18 weeks is what we're looking at. And we're closing in towards the end of October. In terms of playoff teams, the NFC, there are only six teams right now that have winning records. Seven teams make the playoffs. One of the teams with the winning records, 3-2 and two, New Orleans, who was off last week, Carolina has beaten New Orleans already. So Carolina's going to be in the mix. Expanded schedule, a play, expanded playoff field. They haven't lost anybody for the season yet. They expect to get Joe Charlton back punting, J.C. Horn. There's a chance they might get him back end of November, early December. Christian McCaffrey, Shaq Thompson, Cam Irving, C.J. Henderson. None of these injuries are that serious, but cumulatively, it's hurt Carolina of late. So all is not lost. I still believe Carolina is a playoff team. On Twitter at WSGS Sports, 336-777-1600. Robert Walsh, the producer of this show. We've got intern Nick in the house as well. Yes, Robert. Do you want to talk about this Batman some more? Yeah, I actually do. I this love trailer. It. I, the more I the more I sit back and think about what I saw and thinking about like the 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 path that DC is headed down, right? Because their first successful movie they put out in a minute was the Suicide Squad remake. That uh, was successful? Yes. Uh, seen oh. by a lot of people that it was I thought good, you were gonna say Joker. Not the original. No, I'm talking about on this line, but Joker is is, is kind of in the same vein as that. That was very successful. The the first Suicide Squad movie, not so much, but the redo, uh, where they, they kind of reintroduce characters and different ones in different ways, like fill into what I think DC is trying to do now to combat Marvel, where Marvel is like your old school uh, superhero, like where you said in the break, like you think there should never be a rated R superhero movie. That's that, kind of their that's, approach. Yeah, that's their They're trying stick. to do something different. And now DC is like, okay, well, we're going to make it as gritty and as dirty, we're and, going to appeal to adults. Exactly, or at least older comic book fans, where like things can be a little more trivial than getting shot with a laser beam. Like people are actually going to die. There are actually consequences with certain actions, and you saw that in the Joker, and you saw that in Suicide Squad. And I think this Batman movie can be the preliminary movie to start a whole branch off. Because I don't know if you've looked at the cast for this. Like obviously the Riddler. It's a great cast. It's it's Jeff. It's Jeffrey Wright who's going to be playing Commissioner Gordon. It's Paul Dano who you might remember from uh, There Will Be Blood. Bastard in a Basket! You loved it. If I could re- remove one movie from your knowledge, it would be There Will Be Blood. You quote that movie more times in a week than I breathe. I drink your milkshake. I, I drink it all up! But while we're talking about the characters, like they got the penguin in this. Uh, oh, yeah, it's being played by Colin Farrell. Yeah, I think. which is cool, though, because I like this reimagining. He of looks like Richard Kind. Ca- they're going to they're gonna do a great job with him. And also, Lenny Kravitz's daughter plays ah, uh, Selena Kyle, who is Catwoman, but she's not billed as Catwoman. So I think this Batman movie is going to like spread out. Like Here's the interesting discussion, though. What you're saying is true, and I hadn't thought about it that way when you're talking about DC doing something differently than, say, what Marvel's doing. Is there, can superhero characters be too dark? Because for me, backstory, I love Batman. That's my favorite superhero. When I was a kid, my parents couldn't find black crayons in the house because I was busy coloring Batman 24-7. That's what I did, as the kids say, on the reg. I, but with that said, I'm not in on every Batman. The, The Ben Affleck Batman, didn't watch that. When I saw Jared Leto's Joker, just saw a commercial for it for Suicide Squad, didn't watch that movie because it was too scary to me. There was a line 
where I just didn't want to watch it. And I'm I'm on that line right now. I don't know which direction I'm going to go in because critically speaking, I agree with you. I like all these actors, but I do believe there is a line where it could be too dark as somebody who still says to this day that Adam West is the best Batman of all time. I think if you saw some like shows that are outside of the regular superhero universes like DC and Marvel, there's a show that's on Amazon called The Boys that's recently came to a lot of popularity. And that is the by far the darkest superhero. People die very regularly, and there are consequences worldwide for people's habits. Deadpool and another show, is pretty dark. Another show called uh, Invincible that is actually animated, and I think it's pretty. It's as dark as it gets for animated stuff. So, like, I think outside the world of superheroes that like we commonly appreciate, there is a space for them to get darker because everyone else has gone so far over the line. Three three six seven 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 one six hundred. If you want in on this particular conversation, shifting things to college football and college sports in general, the next conference realignment domino has fallen. This summer, it was the SEC snagging Texas and Oklahoma. Trickled down the Big Twelve grab UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati to respond from that. Uh, they stole them from the American. So you thought that the American was going to respond eventually, and we have that news today. The American is going to grab the Charlotte 49ers. In addition to UTSA, UAB, and Rice, grabbing all those teams from Conference USA with the expectation that they're all going to play starting in 2023, according to Brett McMurphy. So they'll have 14 teams still that play football and 14 that play basketball. But to me, the biggest winner from the news isn't the American. It's actually the Sun Belt. Because they weren't poached. When... The news first dropped about Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF. Everybody pointed to the Sun Belt schools. Louisiana, top 25 rank. Coastal, unbeaten. Those are schools you have to go after. How about Appalachian State? That was discussed. The I'll give credit to the Sun Belt commissioner. He said publicly, we are committed to each other, and we're going to stay intact. And that's exactly what happened. You see the news. It's like... Oh, these are schools that are going to apply to get into the American Athletic Conference as if they don't already know whether they're going to get in. It leads me to think they inquired about some schools in the Sun Belt. The Sun Belt just didn't have any interest. The American has sought after obtaining big media markets. Sun Belt has some of those. Like, look at Georgia State. They're in Atlanta. You don't think that the American would want to be in Atlanta? Of course they would. Slightly better than Boca Raton in Birmingham. This is going to make the American more watered down. You have 14 teams to spread TV money across. Just like you have now, but it's going to be less TV money after your three most popular and successful programs, UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston, leave. That's going to further separate the group of five from the power five because the American at times was the fifth best league some years, depending on how bad the Pac-12 was, sixth best league pretty much every other year. And now they're equals with the Sun Belt. The Sun Belt right now has been better at football, aside from Cincinnati being the one contender to potentially make the playoff. But now they're equals. There's no doubt about it. The Sun Belt and the American Athletic Conference. It helps ECU and Charlotte. ECU has really struggled since joining the American. Now that it looks a heck of a lot like what they had in Conference USA before, that's going to help them. And for Charlotte, they escaped Conference USA as that conference crumbles. Don't know what's next for them unless you're looking at a potential Mountain West Conference merger. Try to figure that out. Both teams now have a natural conference rival, which ECU's really never had in CUSA or the American, and Charlotte hasn't had in recent years either. And for Charlotte, you're also preparing for life after Will Healy because it seems like He's probably going to get a bigger job either in the next year or the next two years. So it's good for ECU. It's good for Charlotte. Good for the state of North Carolina as a result. But it's great for the Sun Belt, which is really good for Appalachian State too. 336-777-1600 if you want in on today's show. However, and wherever you're listening, certainly appreciate that. Chris Patola is going to join us in just a little bit. Robert Walsh, who do we have on the line? You got Mark in Greensboro here. Oh. Mark wants in on the Carolina Panthers. Mark, 
I don't think all is lost for Carolina. I know you're a Giants fan. Are you with me on this? Yeah, I was I was telling Robert, like I don't feel bad for Panthers fans. I mean, guys, the Giants are one in five. Uh they have no Saquon, no Kenny Galladay, their left tackles out, their right tackle is Nate Solder. They potentially have three backup offensive linemen. Uh you're gonna be facing a downtrodden team. Do you think you guys have problems? Wait till wait till we play you. You'll 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 cruise <laughs> through this game. You, the fans will be leaving at halftime like they have been over the last, you know, four, three or four games. I mean, we're the Giants are a terrible team and right now a terrible organization, but they've also been terribly unlucky this year. And I feel bad for Daniel Jones because I want to be on his side, but he's just been snake bin. I just don't just don't worry about it. Either the train will be written. We'll, we'll write this train this week for Carolina fans via the Giants, and you'll be all fine. I'm not going to lie, Mark. I was a little disappointed with your call. I thought that you were going to comment on Batman. I thought we were going well, to a Batman I mean, call. Well, listen, Batman is this. This Batman is going to be very good. I don't. I don't get the whole. It could be too dark. I mean, Batman inherently is about vengeance and is about you know using his detective skills and his and his money and and his influence to kind of. Yeah, I think I think uh, Alfred shut him down. That's what I'm saying. Alfred got him. Thanks for the call, Mark. Yeah, there is some film noir to Batman that you don't get with the other superhero comics. I guess he knows what he's doing. He can't argue with success, right? Right. You're on the drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. The NBA season tips off tonight, and there's already drama to get to today. Brooklyn, Milwaukee, 730 tip TNT, Golden State at the Lakers. We got Brian Geisiger in studio. Ben Simmons has been suspended for the opener after a practice spat today that was described this uh, way by Shams Tarania from Stadium. Shom said, Doc Rivers asked Ben Simmons to join a defensive drill today. Simmons refused. Rivers asked again. Simmons said no. Rivers then sent Simmons, said to Simmons, you should go home. Simmons dropped the ball and left. Then you had post-game availability or post-practice availability. Doc Rivers was saying things like, "This, this is not, there's no such thing as reality. This is sports. And Joel Embiid was a little bit more pointed in his criticism of Simmons. This is what Joel said when he was asked about Simmons being thrown out of practice. At this point, I don't care about that man, honestly. He does whatever he wants. Uh, you know, that's not my job. Uh, you know, that's those guys' jobs. Uh, you know, I'm only focused on trying to make the team better, uh, win some games, uh, you know, play hard every night. Uh, try to lead you know, the guys that we have here. Yeah, that's Joel Embiid. I mean, it's like a pretty diplomatic answer from Embiid, but like he's got to be so tired of talking about this guy. Just having to answer, you know, having to answer questions every day. It's kind of one of the reasons why I think more than almost anything else, Philadelphia, there's some pressure to move Simmons because it's like ultimately the roster is what it's going to be when they head into the postseason. And that's what really matters. And certainly you want to build up continuity and stuff before then. But also, you want to make sure Joel, your best player, like the crown jewel, this this team's best player post Iverson, you want it to be like a good existence and a good experience for him. Obviously, you want the team around him to be the best too. And um, I mean, I don't know. I guess I kind of thought that what was going to happen with Simmons showing up, and granted, his return was was strange, um, as him just sort of showing up in the middle of the night or whatever <laughs> with Philadelphia. But I kind of thought both sides sort of realized, hey. We need, like, Philadelphia wants to move Ben, but they need him to look good for a couple of weeks of games. And for Simmons, who wants out of Philadelphia, it serves his purpose to come in, put up with, put up with whatever, and just play pretty well. And ultimately then, you know, a de- yeah, like you'll get past um, some part of the early season and a deal gets swung. And now it just keeps getting more and more drawn out. Clearly Simmons and his camp are, like, not thrilled with the money being withheld. 
yeah. which is something that that happened uh, just prior to Simmons leaving California and reporting to Philadelphia. That um, detail was from Woj, where the 76ers have fined Simmons $1.4 million for his absences from four preseason games and levied numerous team fines uh, for mispractices on court workouts and meetings. He hasn't earned, to your point, any money since returning to the team on October the 11th. Right, and he was due an installment payment of $8.25 million. And it's very obvious that uh, before that was withheld, while Simmons was still holding out, it's very obvious that like his camp did not think Philadelphia would be able to not pay him that money, which is why they were trying to cl- like strong-arm Philadelphia and said he was not going to uh, show up now he's here it's just it's it I mean look this is definitely a mess it doesn't mean they can't resolve it I do think eventually Philadelphia is going to work a couple you know one trade to get you know some parts in for Simmons or they'll work multiple deals but like they're eventually going to use this roster spot on something that isn't Ben Simmons right as they try to contend for the Eastern Conference titles just right now though it's hard to see the force through the trees this is kind of a mess I'm not going to let Ben Simmons ruin the opening day vibe though that's right. Because we've got out precise the Geist to play. Brian Geisinger is a basketball genius. Josh Graham uh, is not. I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. Listen as Brian launches half-court shots and Josh, well, double dribbles all over himself. And there's nothing you can do about it. Get off the bench and try to out precise the Geist. Basketball. Basketball. And we get to play this game. That's provided that I don't drop the mic and just walk out of here. Right? <laughs> yeah, I, I thought he was going yeah. to say basketball too. Yeah, please don't find me one point four million dollars though. <laughs> uh, my, withhold my appearance fees. Hey, as long as show. you participate in this defensive drill, BG, it's all <laughs> yeah. going to be okay. Perfect. All right. Yeah. Don't pick the. Right. Don't drop the ball. Stay right. here and play with us because basketball's here, and we got two great games tonight: uh, Bucks and Nets and Lakers Warriors. And that's going to be the theme for today. But I want to start with the Bucks and the Nets. More specifically, the Bucks and the newest piece to fit in for them is former Blue Devil Grayson Allen. They acquired yeah. him in a trade. Uh, and he could be in line for some major minutes with uh, Dante DiVincenzo still recovering from his injuries uh, that he sustained in the playoffs. Uh, and as far as Grayson's NBA career goes, as he's got more minutes, he's continued to improve. His stats have gone up. So how many more points did he average last year compared to his rookie year. How many points did he average last year compared to his rookie year? Gotcha. So this is his that was his third season in the league Correct. compared to his rookie year. Um Grayson who also agreed to an extension. I like the, I like his addition for the Bucks by the way. I think that's a, a good bit of business from Milwaukee and uh, I think he'll fit in nicely next to the rest of those guys on offense. Um I will say five and a half points. I've got nine Point two points per game written down. His rookie year, he averaged 5.6 points a game. Uh, and last year, he averaged 10.6 for a nice round five. He is five points better last year than he was his rookie. See, as soon as you said the rookie year stat, BG yeah. started fist pumping because yeah. he probably remembers by heart <laughs> what yeah. his stats were last year. Well, he was in more of a platoon with in Memphis last year. Like, they're playing a lot of guys, so I just knew... Even though he's become a significantly better player uh, in terms of per game averages, probably maybe not won't be that big of a difference over his rookie year, which he was not very good for Utah. Yeah, I didn't bank on him playing that much. All right, what's the next one? Next one uh, with the Warriors. Wiseman isn't expected to rejoin the Warriors until Friday at the earliest, and the Warriors are probably going to miss his floor spreading ability. But don't forget <laughs> about yeah. his yeah. interior presence. Pretty good on yeah. defense. Uh, James, he only played in 39 games last year and still posted defen- uh, decent defensive stats. How many blocks did he have last year? Oh, wow. He started 29 games. He played in 36. Gotcha. 39. He, excuse me, he 39. Went, he went on a run for a little while last yeah. year where he was blocking everything. He, I mean, physically, Wiseman is a, a, a special talent. It's the, it's just can everything else catch up to like where he is in terms of his physique. Um, I will say, I'll say 39 blocks. I've got 49 written down. 
He averaged .9 blocks a game. He played in 39 games. That's 36 blocks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Did he play up to what you thought he could play as a rookie, BG? Do you still see a lot of room for him to fill out to that ceiling? I think so. Like, look, I, I was I was sort of hard on, on Wiseman heading into the draft last year. Um, I just saw a fair amount of question marks. But but the question marks weren't, can James Wiseman be like an NBA player? It was, is he deserving of a top three pick? And that that was where I was a, where I was, uh, a little more reluctant. Neither of us wanted him in the top three. But can he play in the NBA? Can, be, can he be a starter defensively for a long time? Absolutely. And I think there's a chance he could be something more than that again. There aren't many people on planet Earth that are seven one and can run like that. And he has he has impressive flashes. It's just it's gonna take it's gonna take some time to unpack everything with him. And he's also got thrown into kind of a weird situation at Golden State, and he's living in it again this year, which is win now. They have to win now. And so it's not like he even gets to come into a situation where hey, play some basketball games, work on some stuff, develop like. The Warriors, they need to win games now, and their fans also wanted him to be Wilt Chamberlain last year. So if everyone can just can just chill out on some of the expectations, I think he has the chance to be, at worst, a solid NBA player and, and could have, perhaps be something more than that. All right, last one here. Yeah, jumping on the last one. On the other side of the court, the Lakers added a lot of experience. But how do you put a numerical number on it? That's kind of what I'm going to ask you guys to do. Uh, combined, how many career points does Carmelo Russell Westbrook and Dwight Howard have. Oh God! Yeah, right. I made this one a good one for you. A lot. It's a lot. Carmelo's on the, Carmelo's top ten on the all-time scoring list. I, oh, I it's hate a lot. this question. It's a lot. Um, I'm going to spit out. I'm going to spit out sixty thousand on the nose. I had fifty thousand written down for all to see. Carmelo. Has scored twenty seven thousand three hundred seventy right. points. It's a lot. I'm screwed. Westbrook has scored twenty one thousand eight hundred fifty seven <laughs> points, and Dwight is a hair under twenty k. That's good for sixty eight thousand three hundred forty points. A lot of points they've added, but is it going to equate to any wins? We'll see. I um I, I I still think they have a chance to win the Western Conference this year. Mostly because of Kawhi Leonard being hurt with the Clippers and Jamal Murray being out with, with uh, Denver. I actually, that could be a good segue here. That's been out precise. The guys, BG, working me as usual. I have... Those were tough questions. Good stuff. Robert brought his game, and I assume it's going to get better as the season uh, yeah. rages on. I have a pick. I have a pick, an NBA Finals pick to share. It might be surprising to you in the audience. I don't think it's going to surprise BG. Mm-hmm. So we'll get to that and the ACC preseason poll that was announced today next on The Drive. I need the advice of a professional. This is The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. Yeah, this is the only Death Valley I'm concerned about right here. That's for sure. How was Dabo Sweeney being asked about the LSU job earlier today? Bruce Feldman included Dabo on a list of coaches. LSU might be swinging big for this coaching search is going to dictate the entire cycle that's coming up where some big jobs are going to be open that are already open. The USC jobs open. I think Miami's going to come free. And of course, now you've got LSU, which is one of the five best college football jobs out there. I think the only ones I'd put in front of it, we did this list. When USC came free, was Georgia, Texas, Ohio State, and really it's a 4A, 4B situation between USC and LSU. What might separate LSU in terms of attractiveness, though, aside from where the SEC's headed and how much money they're able to pay their coaches versus a Pac-12 school, any Pac-12 school, the last three head coaches have won national championships at LSU. You see how poorly Les Miles is doing or has done before being fired at Kansas? Well, you know, he won a national title at LSU. And Ed Orgeron, you saw how bad he was as a head coach at Ole Miss 15 years ago. There was a story, Robert. David Cutcliffe was the head coach at Ole Miss before Coach O. There's a story that circled where when... Orgeron took over 
in the first meeting with the team or an initial meeting with the team, he took off his shirt and asked his team who is still loyal to David Cutcliffe. And a few of the players put their hands up saying, yeah, I'm still loyal to David Cutcliffe. And he said he wanted to fight him. He invited the players to fight him while he was shirtless, according to the story. That guy won a national championship at LSU. That seems like your style if you were a head coach. Nobody fought him, did they? And he got that ass whooped. I know that for sure. You think he's losing a fight? Like, he ain't playing fair. This isn't no Oklahoma drill. He's going to put a thumb in your eye or something. (laughs) Yeah, you don't want to mess with the Cajuns. If you're a coach looking at the LSU job, you're thinking, if Les Miles and Ed Orgeron can win a national title in the last 15 years, I think I'll be able to as well. Almost everybody's going to be interested. So the question's not who can they get. The question is, who can't they get? That's why Dabo's being asked about it. Everyone who's up for USC and Miami is also a coach that LSU can get if they want. I've only, Robert, I'm only able to come up with six coaches across the country that if LSU really wanted them, they wouldn't be able to get. Saban at Bama, Lincoln Riley at OU, Ryan Day at Ohio State, Kirby Smart at Georgia, Sark at Texas, and Dabo. Those are the six coaches I don't think they'd be able to get, even if they wanted them. You don't think they'd be able to snag Jimbo from Texas A&M? Well, actually, let's hear from Jimbo, because he used to coach at LSU, so he had to know this question was coming. This is what he said yesterday. I, I am, I'm going to say this right now, and it, and I don't want it's in October right now. I love being here. This is my, the job I wanted. I'm, I'm being here. i got a great contract. I have an unbelievable chancellor. I have an unbelievable president, unbelievable AD. That we're building something. We're recruiting great players. I really believe we're on the process of building something great. I plan on being here and fulfilling this contract and doing everything. I, my family has roots here. I got ranches here. I hunt here. I love everything about this place. I wipe my butt here. I do everything here. Oh, I just got an update from my phone. Jimbo Fisher is the new uh, head coach at LSU. He is not, yeah. but he might be. Candace Cooper does a great job with the Locked On ACC podcast. She was following the Panthers one time, and she tweeted this out, and it's something that sticks in my mind every time I hear Matt Rule speak. She says, you know Matt Rule's lying when he talks fast. (laughs) That might be true of a lot of coaches. Jimbo Fisher, talking really fast there. He acts like he can't hunt in Louisiana. You don't think they got hunting there? I mean, my family's here. I got roots here. I got ranches here. You can do all that. The operative phrase there, that's noteworthy. That clip's about 30 seconds. All you really needed to hear was him use the the expression, I plan to coach out my contract. I plan to coach out my contract. That's a very specific way to say that. That's not him saying, there's no way I'm leaving. Period. Done. I'm the coach here at Texas A&M. Nothing, nothing is going to make me leave. Nothing. That's not what he said. He said, my plan (laughs) right now, my plan is to coach out the remainder of my contract. Here's what I know about plans. They change. They can change. I think Jimbo is one of the coaches they should go after. For me, the list would be four names long. Jimbo, Mario Cristobal at Oregon, James Franklin at at Penn State, and throw that Iowa State coach in there. Everybody likes to do it. Every time a coaching job opens up, it's like Matt Campbell. Lane Kiffin. There you go. That's the fourth one. Those are the four coaches I go after. Just because the ultimate goal at LSU is to beat out Saban for as long as he's there. And Lane Kiffin was very important to that Alabama program. He might have a shot. Jimbo Fisher literally just beat Saban earlier this year. Mario Cristobal was an assistant down there in Tuscaloosa and a great recruiter, has built Oregon up to be in a top 10 program. And James Franklin, he's saying some real squirrely things as well in the media that has me suspicious that he might be looking to leave to either USC or LSU. But the LSU job, it's going to dictate the next coaching cycle. I think it's probably going to be Jimbo or Cristobal. If I had to throw right now, guess who the head coach is going to be at LSU? I think Mario Cristobal probably going to be that guy. 
I think those are the four coaches they should be going after. On Twitter, at WSGS Sports, 336-777-1600 if you want in. We've got J.R. Smith weekly that we're going to do in about 10 minutes. However, and wherever you're listening, certainly do appreciate that. Before we get to the next spot, can I ask you a question real quick? Yeah, what do you got? If he was offered the job, do you think Joe Brady would take it? I don't. I don't it's think tough. Joe Brady. I mean, it took you a second now, to say that. I wonder if now, he would think that long about it. Well, I think it depends on options. If an NFL team's going to offer him a job, then sure. But here's the problem with that, Robert. And this is what would make things really uncomfortable as a Carolina Panthers fan to talk about. If you're a Panther fan listening to my voice right now, the early recruiting period has it such that you are having to take jobs in the middle of November. By the end of November, you better be that guy. So that way, the recruiting's where it needs to be before Christmas. If he were, hypothetically, going to take the LSU job, Carolina, there's a chance, might be without an offensive coordinator for the final month of the year. Which, if you're an NFL team looking for jobs, it's probably not going to happen until the middle of January now, depending on when the season ends, right? So if Joe Brady is so ticked off that Matt Rule has now seemingly taken over this offense, and there's no guarantee that he's going to get an NFL head coaching job or be interviewed for it, I can't rule it out. I can't rule it out. Is that a good way to answer that question? No, sure. We don't know enough yet. I, I think time will tell. I agree with you, especially if if what comes to fruition about rules saying that he's going to have a larger hand in the offense. And it depends, like you talked about, that tension rearing its head. Like, if is that too much tension between the two to, to cohabitate? So maybe it is, maybe it's not. I, don't know. I will say this. I know some of you might be thinking, Joe Brady wouldn't do that to his former head coach. He wouldn't do that. Hey, you're you're loyal to that guy. You're not going to step in right after he gets fired. You're not going to do that. To that, I would offer this from The Athletic. Where yesterday, this is something that was written in the story. Ed Orgeron was angry and surprised when passing game coordinator Joe Brady turned down a $1.5 million raise from LSU to leave for the Carolina Panthers. Orgeron felt like he plucked Joe Brady out of, quote, a nothing job, end quote, with the New Orleans Saints and helped him helped make him into a star. So he perceived that his departure after one season was a lack of respect. Just keep that in mind. Perhaps there isn't any loyalty there uh, between Joe Brady and Ed Orgeron. You want triad flavor? Well, this is a triad sports radio show, so I'd assume the answer to that question is yet. Yeah. Chris Paul! Had thoughts on J.R. Smith's debut at A&T Golf last week? And we'll get to it in the latest episode of J.R. Smith Weekly. Next. Hey, hey, what's all the commotion? You're on the drive with Josh Graham. If you can't be at least mildly interesting, then shut the hell up. On WSJS Sports. Robert, during the break... Nick getting involved in the fray with this question. If Urban Meyer is offered Miami, LSU, and USC, where does he go? I think he would go to LSU out of the three. However, however, I don't think two out of the three would even express interest at all in Urban. Just because USC settled a massive sexual assault lawsuit that cost them millions of dollars. So the political state of that university and also just the city of Los Angeles as a whole, probably not going to be greeting an Urban Meyer hire so warmly considering the Zach Smith stuff at Ohio State and how things ended there. Kind of similarly at LSU, they just 
finished up a Title IX investigation that did not look good, which included potentially, allegedly, Ed Orgeron knowing some things about Darius Geis allegedly raping women on campus and not doing anything about it. So you don't bring in Urban Meyer, who was accused of something similar, albeit not with the player, but with one of his assistants, and trying to cover it up to be the next head coach when that was such a big problem on campus, leading to Ed Orgeron being on the way out. Miami would be one of interest, though, if things continued to devolve in Jacksonville. Okay, we have J.R. Smith Weekly to do here. Stuff going on with J.R. Smith at NCANT. The latest update is now. I hate when this happens. We're having a little technical difficulty. Oh, so you start talking and is I'll it bring a, the music is it, in. It's the buffering with the computer? That's No, it that just happens. says not responding, which is the most oh, unhelpful thing in the world. So that's always great. How about, that puppy how about we'll just get to that in a second, because one thing I wanted to mention while we had the time to do so, tonight is the Bachelorette season premiere. And to remind people, I have my pick, I have four picks, and Robert has four picks that we have for tonight, and there's a bet hanging in the balance here. If I win, Robert has to watch two movies of my choosing. If one of the four dudes that I chose to potentially win The Bachelorette tonight, or to win this season, I should say, Robert has to watch two movies, one of those being Bull Durham, the other probably going to be a choice for the audience to see what you want Robert to watch and to give us a comprehensive review of after the fact then if I lose if or if Robert wins I should say one of the four contestants he picks wins the bachelorette I have to watch an entire season of shows a season of a specific show of Robert's choosing so it's fair for both of us and if you're going to watch along tonight I'm happy to say, based on the emails that I've received, some of you have been turned on to The Bachelor and Bachelorette just because we have fun talking about it from time to time. I have former Minnesota guard Joe, who is now a 28-year-old real estate developer. I have former Kansas City Chiefs starting offensive lineman Brian, who's from Chicago. I have Olmedy, who is an IT analyst from New Jersey but played basketball at Rutgers. Michelle used to play basketball at Bradley. She's the Bachelorette. And I've got Greensboro native Jack, who's a former Army officer. Those are my four picks. Robert went with Malik, spelled M-O-L-L-I-Q-U-E, 36-year-old academic administrator in San Diego. Nate, spelled N-A-Y-T-E, sales exec from Austin, Texas, 37. Pardeep. 30-year-old neuroscientist from uh, Brooklyn who just has the sweetest eyes. How's he spell his name? Everybody else gets a spell check. Why didn't he get one? Well, the other two, you would assume they were spelled differently. You know how to spell Pardeep without even looking at it. I don't think so. Only I think only I can because I won uh, Davidson County Spelling Bee, but I don't think any, you should spell it for everybody else. How? Okay, fine. P-A-R-D-E-E-P. He's got a great jacket in his picture. And then you got LT. Do I need to spell that? Uh, No, you're good. Okay. 38-year-old yoga guru from Washington. Did Nick want in on the Urban Meyer take here, by the way? Uh, Yeah, you want to hop in here, Nick? Yeah, sure. I mean, I agree with you. I think he would, if the three were to offer, I think he would go to LSU. I mean, yeah, you could go to USC and basically own the Pac-12 depending on what Oregon does. But he's had success in the SEC before, even when Nick Saban was still there too. So I I, I just see, I could see him fit well with LSU. Yeah, I, I enjoy Nick sitting back. He's looking at all these North Carolina fans that are mad at me today because I don't think they can win the ACC. As if I said they're a bad team. That's what happens when you say that they're not as good as the most ambitious fan thinks you are. Oh, now you're just a hater. For what? Saying you're a good basketball team rather than a great one? Hater! You hate us! 
You hope we die in a fiery car crash. No, that's it's not what I'm saying at all. No, I think you guys are good. Not great. Hater! I think that's been enough stalling here. Wait, wait, okay. Last thing about The Bachelor. Uh, so we have pushes, right? Like one of our guys has to win. Like Correct, which means if we have eight of the 30 contestants here. So if one of the other 22 end up winning, then we're not doing last man standing. Yeah, we are doing last man standing. Okay, so the last one of us that has a bachelor left in the pool wins. That's a good question. I, I think, yeah, I think we should do that. So that, last, I mean, there will be a winner no matter what, and it won't be like, go. we could all get eliminated like the first yeah, night, it, technically, right? Yeah, yeah, we all get eliminated tonight, which won't happen. I don't think, I hope not. I mean, it could. It could happen. Uh, fine, yeah, last one standing. And then there's a chance where maybe both our guys, we have one guy standing, and they get eliminated on the same episode. If they get a, if they get eliminated in the same row ceremony, who got the, who got we're the, not we're not doing it in order that way. No, the we're most not doing that. Then it's just the it comes down to points scored. <laughs> yeah, amount of kisses. How many kisses? How many? How many uh, pucker ups? That's did you second get? tiebreaker, and then it goes to smiles. And I'm not rewatching this stuff. <laughs> All right, let's get to J.R. Smith Weekly. But not everyone knows why you're called JR. Jump shot Rob. No. Jump shot Rob. Stands for Junior. Really? I mean, I get it, but you don't want to jazz that up? No. Some more fun? All right, I guess it's Junior. Let's talk about last year's game one. <gasps> Yikes. All you guys got to do is basically protect the ball, grab the ball, hold on to it. Dude, it was last year. Let it go. Get off his back. It's an innocent mistake. <laughs> if we're keeping this segment for the best of podcast, I want all of that. I want it all in there. No edits whatsoever. J.R. Smith Weekly. Chris Paul had some thoughts on his buddy, which I enjoyed seeing here. But before we get to those, actually, J.R. Smith made an appearance on Around the Horn last week. Our buddy Clinton Yates dedicated his 30 seconds after winning Around the Horn to talk about Greensboro and NCANT. This was our guy, Quentin Yates, last week. I want to give a shout out to Earl Smith Jr., aka J.R. Smith, former NBA champion, who's now a golfer at NCANT. This guy is going back to school and he's really made a public show of how much he's reconnected to the classroom and learning about himself. There was a funny viral moment because he got attacked by Hornets. He had a pretty good career average against the Hornets sidebar. But overall, he's <laughs> given his best honest effort and we love this, man. He has really done it. J.R. Smith, thank you for provi- providing us one of the most wholesome sports stories of all year. Man, it's so cool just to see how many people were talking about NCANT golf. I-, I love seeing that. And... Yeah, J.R. Smith pretty good against the Hornets as well. That's a a good little sidebar there. Here's what Chris Paul had to say. This is from USA Today where they had this included in a Q&A. J.R. mentioned that you've been supportive of him going back to school in his golf game. What have you had to say to him? Chris Paul, man, Jay is my brother, man. For real, for real. My rookie year, I got drafted in New Orleans and people forgot it. uh, forget it was just me and J.R. So J.R., He's more than just a former teammate of mine. He's family. We talk. We talk on the regular, especially with everything I'm doing now. He's doing. He's down Greensville, right outside my hometown of Winston-Salem. So checking on him and making sure he's good and making sure I'm giving him encouragement because that's the way it's always been like for us. Is he all right after the B accident was the question. Yeah, yeah. He's all right. Scared him to death, though. Scared me to death, too, when I saw the video. He's all right now. I think Larry Fitzgerald told him the best thing he could tell him. He said, there ain't no beehives in the fairway. Stay in the fairway. He ain't got to worry about that, end quote. Have you seen the video of JR stepping on those hornets? I'm glad you got it right, because let me tell you something. Larry, you're too good for this. You're too smart. You're too much of a philanthropist to be throwing the bees underneath the bus. Not the bees! Not the bees! I'm going to make you watch The Wicker Man again. Oh. If I win this Bachelorette bet. That's cool. I can do that. It is like Halloween. I've started watching scary stuff recently. Checking on his Twitter, he tweeted, quote, Extremely proud of you, bro, at Kyrie Irving. 
moving along from that pretty quickly. He said he just hit fall break. Four A's and a B. How about that? J.R. Smith bouncing back from a tough start. Typical shooter, Robert. He's not deterred after a couple shots didn't go down. This could be his second Dean's list. Uh, no, it wasn't Dean Smith, right? That would, that no, would If no. it was Dean Smith, that would have worked. No, that would have been pretty good. A&T's next tournament is next week. And we'll keep you posted on that here on J.R. Smith Weekly. There you go. Listen to this guy. Hour after hour. What is this? The Drive with Josh Graham on WSJS Sports. With the ACC preseason poll coming out today and Wake Forest going to Army on Saturday afternoon, I can't think of anyone better to talk with than a former cadet. Chris Patola joining us here. You went to West Point. They're getting set for the Demon Deacons. And this is pretty cool. I don't know if you know this, Chris, but on Saturday, all three of the uh, service academies, I don't think this has ever happened before, going to be hosting unbeaten top 25 ranked teams Saturday afternoon with Navy hosting number two Cincinnati in Annapolis. In West Point, it's going to be Army hosting the Demon Deacons, who are 16th ranked, and San Diego State's unbeaten, ranked 22nd. They're going to be visiting Air Force. How closely you think you're going to be following Army when they face Wake Saturday? Uh, you know what? I follow closely every Saturday, Josh. Uh, we're having another good season. And the thing about being an Army fan is in most games, there's going to be more talent on the opposing team. But because of style of play and just because of general commitment to fighting uh we're all, we're in every game i mean like it's it's pretty crazy so it's uh it, you know it's we're not always going to win and, and most of the times we're going to be out talented but uh we're in the games at least so it's, it's nice being a fan it is crazy the way you're describing army there i'm sure wake forest fans are listening to you and thinking huh that's how we describe ourselves <laughs> Yeah, I can understand it, man. I, I really can. Um, you know, and there's a reason why, I mean, you know, this is the number. I don't know the exact numbers, but, you know, it's, it's not even just the game you play against Army or Navy or Air Force. It's the follow-on, you know, the impact that that game has on the rest of your season. So, fortunately for Wake, I think they have Duke after Army. So, they'll, yeah. you know, they'll at least get a softer touch in that game uh, than perhaps uh, other teams in the league, and certainly they will against Army. But, um yeah, man, it's uh, it's 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 been exciting, and I have to give Boo Corrigan, who's now the AD at NC State, a lot of credit because he he and Jeff Munkin brought Army football back to what it should be. Chris Patola with us here. Let's get to the hoops. I'm getting a lot of heat from North Carolina fans today because I don't think North Carolina is a double buy team. I had them pick sixth in my ACC preseason poll, and. Ken Palm was kind of looking at it the same way. They have North Carolina as the sixth highest ranked team. Uh, there's still some question marks with this roster and how it's going to work. And obviously you lose one of the five greatest coaches arguably ever that I think makes it difficult to expect this team to be a contender in the ACC. But if I'm wrong on that, you tell me what's a realistic expectation for Hubert in year one. No, I, I think you're right. I, I had them, uh, I think I had them fourth or fifth. I don't have my, uh, shows you how seriously I take these preseason polls, but I, I mean, I think they're, they're certainly, they're certainly a, a, I think top five team in the league. And I, I think in part, and Duke is going through this a little bit too, you know, when you have the ability to bring back experience like they have, um, you know, look, I, I never thought Leaky Black was going to, you know, be the solution to a whole lot, but the fact that he's a senior, I, I like Leaky Black in that position. I like the fact that Baycott's back. Um, so, you know, and then to get some guards, uh, some guard play that's coming back with experience. Um, I, I think I think their personnel, at least on paper, Josh, uh, is certainly a top five team in the league. And then, you know, look, I, I don't know exactly how different Hubert's gonna gonna play it. I, I went over and watched them practice. And and they are they certainly look schematically different than they they were at least uh, under under Roy Coach Williams. But um, you know sometimes that's a blessing or a curse. You know how quickly can that team adapt and, and how does that look and, and what do roles look like 
uh, with a new coach, particularly offensively. So um, I, I think at least on paper, talent-wise, this is, a, this is a Tar Heel team that's at the very least top five in the ACC. Who, when you watched them practice out of the newcomers, stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, they, they I love Styles. Uh, I love his body type. Um, I love how he moves. You know, I don't think either of those freshmen are going to help them a whole lot. The, the guy, the newcomers, which obviously now with transfers being what they are, the, the transfer I think is going to really have an impact is Brady Manick. Um, and maybe I'm predisposed. I did a lot of Big 12 games over the last two years, and so I got to see Manick a lot at Oklahoma. He became, you know, he finally got away from this. He played his freshman year. He and Trey Young came into Oklahoma together. And he was seen as sort of this, you know, because he looked so much like Larry Bird, or at least his hair did at one point. You know, there was this impression that he's the standstill shooter. And he's a good shooter. He's not a great shooter, perimeter shooter. But I think what he eventually started to embrace, particularly last year, is his ability to rebound, his ability to muck it up inside. He's a tough kid. He's a hard-playing dude who's got a pretty high IQ. And, oh, by the way, he's been really well coached by Lon Kruger, at his time at Oklahoma. So uh, I love Garcia, Dawson Garcia. I love Justin McCoy. I love those two transfers. But I, I think that the newcomer that's going to have the biggest impact is Brady Manick. Chris Spatola, ESPN College Basketball Analyst with us. Usually when someone tells us a good story on the show, we just file it away and deploy it at the right opportunity. And at ACC tip-off last week, there was a story that you told us months back that I've just had filed away to ask either Coach K or Hubert about, and we had the opportunity to do so with Hubert Davis, and I want to play this sound back to you. It's from ACC Tip-Off, where you told us once upon a time something that Coach K did when he visited the Smith Center. Let's play that sound from last week. When K is there at the Smith Center, he specifically times it where he's in the, the tunnel and he waits for Coach Williams to come out. So that way Carolina fans have to make a decision. Do I cheer Hubert Davis when he's coming out on the floor, or do I boo Coach K? Okay, well, I'm stubborn as well, so I'll just stay there in the locker room. It's going to be a standoff. <laughs> it's going to be a standoff in the tunnel. <laughs> it's going to be a standoff in the tunnel. Oh, that's a great answer. That is great. <laughs> I, I just want – yeah, I, I figured you'd enjoy that. Uh, and I love the image of Coach K and Hubert Davis standing in the tunnel just waiting for the other to walk out on the floor later this year. You know how Coach K handles a team about as well as anybody just because you were an assistant there for a little while. One of his biggest sayings, especially in the one-and-done era, is about this team. It's about this team. I don't like looking in the past. It's about this team. It's not about anything else. And K's been trying to push that message that it's not about his final year when talking to the media, when trying to prepare everybody for the season. He said the same thing to the crazies at Countdown to Craziness. How difficult of a job do you think it is to keep guys focused on game to game when so much of the outside of the locker room is going to be focused on the overall picture and on your coach? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think, I think there are a couple elements, Josh, where this will come into play. Um, you know, look, Duke players and Carolina players are the same way. I mean, they live, they live in their own bubbles to begin with, and, and external noise and pressure is something that's a product of those programs. So I, I don't think the noise itself is necessarily going to be a thing. The, the, the thing where I, I, I imagine it's going to how the team reacts and how Coach K reacts will be on the road. Um, because there's going to be a lot of stuff pregame that, A, I don't think Coach realized. I mean, I think he's now starting to understand what these pregames are going to be like, but they are, they are counter to the mood and, and the, the climate that he is comfortable with prior to a game. So how he reacts to that, but even more so the players. You know, like, you know, do, is he going to leave the team in the locker room? I doubt that. You know, it's probably going to be right before tips. So, like, how the team reacts on the road to the reception of Coach K, I think is something that, that you can't prepare for, and I don't think the players exactly understand how that's going to go down. Here's the other thing, Josh. You know, Duke has, has planned all of this out. You know, they did the year in way, the coach in waiting now with John Shire, and they planned out, you know, countdown to craziness. 
I wasn't there, but I heard it was great. And, you know, with, with knowing your schedule, you can kind of plan out. You can plan everything. The one thing you can't plan is when this season ends. And, and so that's the thing I think that, that ends up becoming, you know, how that pressure manifests for, for that team, both coach and players, you know, going into an NCAA tournament, which let's hope they make it. I, we assume they will this year, uh, given the talent level. But, you know, that's the one thing. You don't know when that, when that season's going to end. And, and I think the, the sudden moment of, you know, look, do they cut down the nets? You know, probably at this point I would say unlikely, but they're certainly capable of, and we'll see how the season evolves. But you lose all of a sudden in the Sweet 16 and a game that comes down to the final possession, and all of a sudden, Oh, my God, that was Coach K's last game. Those are the two areas, Josh, that Duke cannot prepare for, and, and I think they don't really understand exactly how those moments are going to manifest. Wow, it's such a good point you bring up. I can't imagine that as a player. Like, I, it, it would just bother me to no end, but that's why I don't play it. Duke, if you're in an NCAA tournament game, yes, the pressure is already great because your season might end, but the extra layer of it, because it's what's been reinforced to you since Coach K's announcement in June – not only is it going to be the end of your season, it's going to be the end of a Hall of Fame coach's career. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a big part of this whole thing. And, you know, I asked Coach at, at Media Day and asked the players, you know, how are you feeling that pressure? And they're all saying the right things, but we're all human beings. And, by the way, we're talking about 18-year-old to 22-year-olds. It, You know, it, once, we, once this season starts to get, you know, where the, the whole thing's in the balance, I, I think that's going to – it's all going to look differently. Follow him on Twitter at Chris underscore Spatola from ESPN. We're going to be seeing a lot of this guy's mug on TV sometime soon, in the next month or so specifically. Thank you so much for making the time in the meantime, though. My, my pleasure, Josh. Be well, brother.